Well, good morning. Hey, it's great to see you. I want to welcome everybody to church again here in Cartersville, Rome, Adairsville. Grateful to have everybody in the house today. How about that worship? I'm, I'm going to... Okay, all right. I think Adairsville and Rome were a little bit louder than y'all here in Cartersville, but... Uh... I don't know, have you ever had moments in worship where you just don't feel like you can get your hands high enough? Man, I felt like that Thursday. I felt like that just a few minutes ago singing that song, Great Are You, Lord. Uh, the Lord is moving in a special way in our church, and I'm just so grateful to be a part of it with all of you, and uh, I'm believing that God is going to do some special things in our time together today. And so if you have a Bible, if you would, grab it. Head to John 6 with me. John chapter 6, again, is where we're going to be. A few years ago, Pew Research did a study on a group known as the Religious Nuns. And I'm not talking about the little ladies in black and white outfits who take a vow of celibacy nuns. I mean the N-O-N-E-S nuns. These are people with no religious affiliation. And what they found in the study was fascinating that 78% of people who fall into this group were once part of a religious group. And they left that group for a variety of reasons, all right? Some of them said, well, it's because I believe in science now, kind of like the dude from Nacho Libre. That's all I could think about when I read that part of the study. Some of them said, I just want to be more open-minded in my approach to life. Others blamed it on religious hypocrisy. Others blamed it on power structures that existed within their group. But the point, again, is simply this. The overwhelming majority of people in that group were once part of a group, a religious group, and then something happened and they left the group. And this is exactly what we see going on at the end of John chapter 6. If you're there, we're going to pick it up in verse 60. Here's what John writes. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? All right, here's what John tells us. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he had many disciples. We know from earlier in this same chapter, there were at least 5,000 men who wanted Jesus to be their king. So there could have been literally thousands of people following him at this point. But the problem is they weren't true followers. They weren't true disciples. As we've learned over the course of our study on this book, there were a lot of people who were following Jesus, not because they wanted Jesus, but because they wanted something from Jesus. This is who John's talking about. And so when you see the word disciples in the text there, don't think devoted follower, think more casual churchgoer. Do you know the person I'm talking about? Uh, this would be the person who shows up to this maybe once or twice a month, and when they're here, you know, they put on the right face, and they do the right things, and they say the right things, and they go through the right motions, but when it comes to truly following Jesus, oh man, they're out on that, totally out on that. That, that was this group. These were these people. They looked like they were following Jesus, but they weren't really following Jesus, and we see it in their response to Jesus. If you haven't been here over the last few weeks, I'll get you caught up quickly. John chapter 6 opens with this amazing miracle. Jesus takes five loaves of bread and two fish, and he supernaturally multiplies these elements, and he feeds a massive crowd of people, maybe upwards of 20,000 with men, women, and children all included. 
but feeds this massive crowd of people until they were satisfied. And then the very next day, he makes the announcement, I am the bread of life. What I just did for you physically, that's what I'm here to do for you spiritually. He tells them, I've been sent by the Father from heaven to give life to the world. And if you want that life, you're going to need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Which, come on, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit like cannibalism, but that is not what Jesus was saying. He was talking about what it means to believe in him. That at the end of his life, he would go to a cross and he would die a substitutionary death for us. In our place, for our sins, and the way that he would do it, he would lay down his flesh, he would pour out his blood to buy us back to God and to give us life. And so again, when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he's calling us to look upon that sacrifice and to believe. But man, it just goes right over these people's heads. And so what we see them saying here is, that's hard. What that brother just said, that's some really hard stuff. That he came from heaven, that he's the bread of life, that we have to eat him and drink him. And then they ask the question, who can listen to that? And the word listen there is really important. It it can also be translated from the Greek accept. And when you accept something that someone says, it means that you act upon it. And so it's really, really easy to know whether or not someone is listening to you. If you're an employer in the room, you get this, right? Like, let's say you sit down with an employee and you go, okay, here's exactly what I need you to do. If they do it, they've listened. If they act upon it, they've accepted what you just said. Parents in the room, you get it, right? Like, think about them little sinners running around in your house that you helped produce, all right? Think about them. You sit down and you go, okay, here's what I need from you. If they do it, they've listened. If they act upon it, they have accepted what you have said. And I would argue, catch this, I would argue that this is the difference between the true disciple and the false disciple. True disciples of Jesus listen to what Jesus says. And I'll even take it a step further and say it like this. True disciples act upon even the hard sayings of Jesus Christ. Okay, do you know that in the Gospels, Jesus said some really hard things? If you have never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I would encourage you to go read those books, the story of Jesus' life and ministry. He said a a lot of really hard things about what it means to know him and to follow him. I'll give you a few examples. Luke 9, 23. If you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Here's the translation. You have to forget about yourself completely. You have to die to yourself every single day, walk in obedience to me no matter the cost, even if it costs you your life, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to imitate me in all that you say and do. That's hard, okay? In Luke 9, 62, Jesus says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so if you are the person who is trying to follow Jesus while looking back on all the things you left behind to follow Jesus, Jesus says, I can't use you. You are unfit for service in my kingdom. That's really hard. Uh, In Luke 14, it just gets harder. Verse 26, you can't be my disciple if you don't hate your father and your mother and your wife and your children and your brothers and sisters and even your own life. That sounds crazy, right? And Jesus, just so you know, he's not talking there about literal hate. What he's saying is that your love for him should make all of those other relationships look like hate. 
Here's the point I'm trying to make. Jesus was the worst church growth strategist that ever lived. He was, man. I mean, you think about it, if a guy had 20,000 people show up to his thing, you would think that he would say whatever he needed to say to keep them there. 20,000 people show up to his thing, and he says, you're all going to need to eat me. All right, just eat me. Why? Why did Jesus say stuff like that? Well, the reason is very simple, because his goal was never big crowds. His goal was committed disciples. So anytime the crowds got a little too big, Jesus would say something a little weird, pretty hard to thin the crowds out. He wasn't interested in people just following him. He wanted people to actually follow him. And so he would say things to see who was truly committed. He would say certain things to separate out the true disciples from the false disciples. And I just want you to know that is our heart here at Cross Point City Church. Our goal here is not big crowds. And I praise God for the crowds that he's bringing. This is insane. We are up right now 700 people from where we were a year ago. 700 people. We've never had a year like that. Like I'm telling you, when I say God's moving, God is doing something very special in our midst. It's not normal. I pray that we don't take it for granted. But we've never had a year in our history where we have grown by an average of 700 people a week. But here's what I want to say. As amazing as that is, that's not the point. As amazing as that is, that is not the goal. If you have been here for a while, you've heard me say this. The goal at Cross Point is not to be a big church. It's to be a biblical church. And because our desire is to be a biblical church, at times, I'm going to need to say some really hard things to you, some things that are not popular, some things that are not culturally acceptable, but please hear my heart. I say them because I love you. I say them because I want you to love Jesus and know Jesus and follow Jesus. And so as long as I'm your pastor, I'm going to preach this book unapologetically, unashamedly, no matter how hard it is for you to hear. And then you have to decide whether or not to follow Jesus. That's the decision he's forcing these people to make. And they are not happy about it in this moment. I mean, did you see that? They responded in the same way as the people in our text last week. They are grumbling about Jesus, complaining about Jesus. And the phrase that John uses is so significant. He says, Jesus knowing in himself. Can I tell you today that Jesus knows you and that you cannot hide anything from him? The theological word is omniscience. He is all-knowing. And so this means he knows your heart, he knows your mind, he knows your fears, your insecurities, he knows all of your pains, he knows all of your struggles, and he actually cares about those things. I want you to know that, but, but Jesus Christ, knowing in himself that they were grumbling, asked the question, did I just offend you? Like, are you taking offense at, at what I just said? And I want you to know offense in the text is different than offense in our culture today. Okay, when someone offends you in our society, it means that you're put off by them by something they said and something that they did. And the silliness of our culture is that everybody's offended about something these days. You ever notice that? I mean, I feel like as people, we're just looking for stuff to be offended by. And, and I think, this is my opinion, I think it's because we've given out too many participation trophies and not enough spankings. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen? 
I mean, look, when I was growing up, and I'm not even that old, I'm, I'm 41. When I was growing up, if you lost, you just went home. Nobody gave you anything except for a, like, hey, try harder next time, loser, you know, and that's about all you got. And when I was growing up, if you disrespected or disobeyed someone in a position of authority, there was no time out. You just got your behind worn out. And different people would do it. It's like not even your parents, like a neighbor down the street, you know, (laughs) teacher at school. I'll tell you what my grandparents did to us. They would make us go out into the yard and find a switch. Okay, some of y'all know what that is for... uh, For all of you under the age of 20, a switch is a stick, okay? (laughs) You'd have to go into the yard and find a stick for them to spank you with. And if you brought back a stick or a switch that was too thin or too bendy, they would send you back out to try again, all right? And and look, I know some of you are very offended by that. So on the way out, we're going to pass out stickers and lollipops to help you feel better. but. But look, that's not the offense we're talking about in the text, okay? Completely different. Here's what Jesus means. Offense in the Greek means to make someone not believe. So here's his question. Did what I just said make you not want to believe? Okay, when I said that I was the bread from heaven and that I came to give life to the world and that you would need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, did all of that offend you to the point where you no longer want to follow me. And then he says, what about this? What about this? What if you see the son of man ascending back to where he was before? Man, this is so good, all right? He's using Daniel 7 language again. We've talked about this over the past couple of weeks. But in this Old Testament passage, the prophet Daniel writes about one like a son of man coming up to the ancient of days. This is God the Father to receive glory and dominion and a kingdom that cannot be destroyed, that all nations and languages and people should serve him. All right, I'm a firm believer that happened at the ascension of Jesus Christ. You can read about that in Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, but that after his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus fulfilled Daniel 7 that he in bodily form ascended back to heaven, that he took a seat at the right hand of God the Father, and he's already received glory, that he's already received dominion, and he's exercising that dominion by saving sinners like you and me. I believe Jesus has already received an eternal kingdom. And he's advancing and expanding that kingdom every day by snatching people out of death and hell and giving them life. And here's Jesus in the text going, what if you saw that? What if you saw that happen? Would that change anything for you? Can I tell you, the ascension of Jesus Christ should change everything for us? I know we talk about the gospel a lot of times. It's like life, death, and resurrection And we forget about the fact that King Jesus is on his throne right now, ruling and reigning over all things and serving as our great high priest, inviting us to come into the throne room of God anytime we want to receive the grace and mercy we need to make it through the pains and difficulties of life. The ascension of Jesus should change everything for us. And he's asking these people, would it change anything for you if you actually saw it? And then he says in verse 63, something so critical. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. 
But there are some of you who do not believe. And then in parentheses, John adds his own commentary into the text. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. We'll come back to that at the end of the sermon. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So there are a few things he says here that I want to point out. Number one, he says the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. And when he talks about the Spirit, he is talking here about the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus Christ and belong to him, the Spirit of God lives in you. He has taken up residence in you. And he's speaking about the Spirit's work of regeneration. All right, this goes back to what we talked about in John chapter 3, what it means to be born again. Jesus was talking to old Nicodemus, and he's like, hey, bro, you want to see the kingdom of God? you got to be born again. And again, poor Nick was so confused. He's like, I don't even know how that works for a grown man like me. And he's like, I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. See, the truth is this. Every single one of us was born into the world spiritually dead. Okay? Nobody's born into the world good. There was only one good man that ever lived. His name was Jesus, okay? And you ain't him. So we were all born into the world very bad and very dead because of our sin. And the sad reality is there's nothing we can do about that. And so what we need is this new birth. It's a spiritual rebirth, if you will. And the Spirit of God, according to Jesus, is the one who does that in our lives. Okay, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He opens our eyes to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus. He gives us the faith we need to believe. The Holy Spirit gives us new hearts. He gives us new desires. He is the one that moves us from spiritual death to spiritual life. The Spirit of God gives life. Everybody with me so far? Okay, the second thing Jesus says, your flesh is no help at all. The Spirit gives life and your flesh is no help at all. Here's what that means. When it comes to regeneration, you contributed nothing. Like you did not help the Holy Spirit out with your spiritual rebirth, okay? And this is what sets Christianity apart from other religions. Other religions would say, if you want new life, here's what you do. And Christianity says, if you want new life, you have to acknowledge there's nothing you can do. But the good news of the gospel is that God did it for us. When we were helpless to do anything to change our spiritual condition, out of love and mercy, God sent Jesus into the world to do what we couldn't do. And by his life, death, and resurrection, he has saved us out of death and hell. He has given us new and eternal life. And the Holy Spirit is the one who imparts that life. And the way we receive it is by faith. All right, this is Ephesians 2 stuff, man. This is Christianity 101. This is bottom shelf kind of stuff, you know. You and I as sinners, listen, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Paul says there, it's not your doing. You didn't do anything about that. Uh, No, it's the gift of God. He gave it to you because he wanted to, and it's not a result of works so that no one may boast. I love that. Why did God set it up that way? So that you can't go around bragging about what you did to give yourself new life. Like if you walk around bragging about what you did to give yourself spiritual life, that would be the same as a baby bragging about uh, about the fact that he was just born. Like, y'all see what I pulled off back there? It's pretty awesome. Y'all see what I did? like, bro, you didn't do anything, and neither did you when it comes to spiritual life. Why? Because the flesh is no help at all. And then finally, Jesus says that his words are spirit and life. 
but his words are spirit and life. Here's what that means. When Jesus speaks, his words come from the life-giving spirit, and they lead to life. Okay, a few weeks ago, we talked about this amazing, trustworthy book, the Bible, the Word of God. If you missed that sermon, you can go back and find it. It was part of a series we did called To Know the King. If you missed it, I'd highly recommend you go back and watch or listen. But in that sermon, I talked about how this book is God-breathed. In the Greek, it's theonoustos, that he literally uh, exhaled these words onto these pages through human authors. And so it's not like a bunch of dudes got together and grabbed pens and just wrote what they wanted to write. No, God instructed them, superintended the writing process, and he breathed these words onto these pages through them. And because these are the very words of God, these words are true, these words are authoritative, and these words lead to life. You see, when you actually follow the teachings of the Bible, this book doesn't rob you of life, it gives you life. I was the church kid who for a long time thought God was just trying to like kill my joy and take things from me. No, the opposite is true. What God is doing in his word is he's trying to realign you with his way of life because when you do life God's way, that is when life works. The words of Jesus lead to life. I will tell you, that's why here at Cross Point we're committed to the word of God. It's why every week you show up, you're not gonna get a little sermonette from James, but we're just gonna open the Bible and I'm gonna preach it and I'm gonna tell you what he said because this book leads to life. It is also why we are very open to the things of the spirit. You see, I think it is a silly, silly argument that people will make at times and sometimes they make it by, by just implication, if you will, that churches have to, for some reason, pick between the word and the spirit. You ever heard people talk this way? That, okay, look, look, if, if you take the word too seriously, you're gonna quench the spirit of God, or if you're too open to the spirit of God, you're gonna compromise on the word, and I think that is a lie from the pits of hell. Here's why. Because when a church like ours centers itself on the word of God and we are open to the things of the spirit of God, that is when the power of God is unleashed, both in our lives and in our church, and we've been seeing it. We've been seeing it. For months and months now, I mean, I have told you that over this past year, we have seen the most radical conversions that we have ever seen in the history of our church. I mean, we have seen atheists meeting Jesus, agnostics meeting Jesus, convicted felons meeting Jesus, drug addicts meeting Jesus, people who've grown up in church their entire lives meeting Jesus. We have seen passive men. Passive men getting on their knees and giving their lives to Jesus. And only the Spirit of God can do that. I can't do it. You can't do it. But where the Word of God is rightly proclaimed, the Spirit of God goes to work and he changes the lives of people. The Spirit gives life and the flesh is no help at all. This is why Jesus says, that's why I told you, he's talking to the crowd, that's why I told you, nobody can come unless it's granted by the Father. So what we talked about last week in verse 44. No one can come to the Son unless God the Father draws him. You see, spiritual rebirth, again, is something that the Spirit of God has to do. And because we are spiritually dead, depraved people, we can't just come to God on our own and ask for that. God has to initiate that relationship. He has to do something in us to open our eyes, to change our affections. He has to enable us to believe. But here's the really sad reality. Not everyone believes. 
Not everyone believes. Have you ever noticed that? How we'll come together in moments like this and in settings like this, and you got people losing their minds, man. They just love Jesus. They want to follow Jesus. It's yes and amen to every truth that is proclaimed. And then there are people in the same room just sitting back going, nah, not interested. Sadly, not everybody believes. And this is what we see in the text. Look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Man, in my humble opinion, that is one of the most tragic verses in the entire Bible. I don't know how many turned back. I don't know how long they were following before they turned back. All we know is that they turned back. Despite what they had seen from Jesus. I mean, even if they had seen nothing else, the day before, they at least saw him multiply loaves and fish, and they were all fed. They participated in the miracle And they turned back, listen, they turned back despite what they had heard from Jesus. Think about this. This was not some other pastor standing in front of these people telling them about him. Jesus Christ, the son of God, God in the flesh, stood before this crowd, made himself known, and personally invited them to believe and to receive life in his name. And they decided, now we'll just turn back. We'll we'll, we'll turn back. In his uh, commentary on John's gospel, William Hendrickson, he explains what this means. Listen, he says, they went back to the things which they had left behind, not only their ordinary daily pursuit, but also their former way of thinking and living, not intending to ever return to Jesus. Tragic. Can I tell you what's more tragic? That people still do this today on this side of the cross and resurrection. I mean, the one thing that I can at least give them is that hadn't happened yet. You know, they hadn't witnessed Jesus Christ dying on a Friday and getting up from the grave on a Sunday. But you and I have those historical events to look back on that let us know that Jesus was telling the truth. But even still today, and you probably know these people like I know these people, even still people will follow Jesus for a season and then they'll turn back. And I think they do it for a few reasons. Sometimes the teachings of Jesus get hard. And the teachings of Jesus, let's be real, are getting harder and harder to follow in our culture today. Because less and less people think it sounds like a good idea to follow what Jesus is saying. And it's creeping into the church, and even church people now are starting to turn back because, man, I don't like what Jesus has to say about marriage. And I don't like what Jesus has to say about sexuality. And I don't like what Jesus has to say about money. And I don't like what Jesus has to say about loving my enemies and I think I'll just turn back. Sometimes his teachings get really hard. Other people turn back because life gets hard. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen this as a pastor, but man, somebody's following the Lord. They seem like they're committed to him, and then something happens. Tragedy hits. They get the call. They were hoping they were going to get. Somebody gets sick. Somebody passes away, and their mindset is, if he would allow something like that to happen to me, I'll just turn back. Sometimes it's because church life gets hard. Has anybody experienced church hurt? Okay, church hurt is a very real thing, y'all. I don't know if you know this, but uh, when I was a teenager, late teens, early 20s, I experienced some church hurt, which almost caused me to turn back from Jesus because I'm watching these vicious, nasty church people throw stones and lob grenades and just destroy each other. And I'm sitting back going, if these are the people I got to hang out with to follow Jesus, I'm not sure I want to follow Jesus. 
Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Can we just never beat those people, by the way? Can we agree to that? But, but church hurt is a real thing. And so people turn back from Christ for a variety of reasons. And in 1 John 2, 19, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John wrote that little epistle, 1 John. Here's what he says in 1 John 2, 19, that when people turn back from following Jesus and they never come back, it proved that they never really belonged to Jesus. You see, if a person turns back and they belong to him, at some point they're gonna come back. I mean, Hebrews 12, that God is a loving father who always disciplines his kids when they're stepping out of line because he wants to bring them back to a place of blessing in his family. But for the person who can turn back and stay gone and never come back, it proves that, yeah, they were following, but they were never truly following and so Jesus, in verse 67, says to the 12, says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Now, this is super interesting this is the first time Jesus calls his disciples the 12th, very first time. And the implication is this, that everybody else left but them. Think about that scene, man. Thousands of people walking out, and Jesus is left with 12 guys, and he looks at these 12 guys, and he's like, uh, y'all want to leave too? You guys want to go with them? And, and I'll tell you what I find so fascinating Jesus seems so unbothered by this, almost apathetic that these people are walking out on him. He's not freaking out that the crowds are going away, which is so different from our culture today. I mean, cancel culture is a real thing, right? It is. And, and so anytime an athlete or a politician or a celebrity says something stupid or offensive, what is the first thing they do? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don Lemon, I'm sorry for saying women are in their primes in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Y'all see that? That's a little offensive, wasn't it? But they stand up and they're like, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Why? Because they don't want to get canceled. Jesus just got canceled. And he doesn't care that he got canceled. The masses are walking away. He is watching them leave. And then he gives his guys an off-ramp. You can leave too. If you guys want to go with them, you're free to go with them. And our boy Peter speaks up. Of course it was Peter. Peter was always speaking up. No other disciple could ever get a word in because Peter was always speaking up. None of us are like Peter, are we? But, but Peter says to Jesus, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? And I love this response. It's so beautiful. This is a response of affection. It is not a response of desperation. So in other words, Peter's not saying to Jesus, well, where else are we gonna go now, bro? You blew it for us. Everybody knows we're your guys. You went and said some really crazy dumb stuff and nobody's gonna take us now. You're our only option. And he looks at Jesus and he goes, you're our only option. Jesus, you're it for us. I mean, what you said, man, yeah, it's a little crazy and I don't even know what it all means, but Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. And we, the 12 of us, we believe and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God, the one sent by God and set apart by God to save sinners like us. And the word know in the text, it's so important. It's gnosko in the Greek, and it means experiential knowledge. 
And so this is when you know that something is true because you've seen it and smelled it and tasted it and heard it and touched it. It's like when you go to the restaurant, you're like, I know it's good. I had the fried chicken, man. Like, you need to go. And, or I know it's good. I was at the theater three times this week. Watched the same movie three times. It was awesome. You need to go see it. This is the type of experiential knowledge he's describing. Peter's saying to Jesus, look, we have been with you long enough to know from personal experience what is true about you. And Jesus, there's no turning back for us. Where else are we going to go? To whom else shall we go? No one and nothing can do for us what you can do for us. And Jesus' response is almost comical. He's like, okay, great. Well, just remember I chose you. You, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I initiated this relationship. And I think Jesus said that to protect these men from themselves because let's be honest, when you're being faithful to Jesus and other people are being fickle, it's easy to get a little prideful. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There you are, man, following him wholeheartedly and you're watching other people walk out on him and you sit back and you're like, oh, I can't believe they would leave. You kidding me? Walk out on, like I would never walk out on Jesus. And I just want to say out of love for you, be careful, man. You need to be very careful because you have no idea what life still lies ahead of you. You don't know what pain or tragedy or hardship is on the other side of even today. And you need to be really, really careful. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, take heed lest you fall, my friend. Do not walk in pride. Don't think it can happen to you. Pride always comes before the fall. And Jesus is saying to his guys, remember I chose you. The only reason that you're still with me is because of my grace upon your life. And then he says to them, and one of you that I chose is a devil. This should make all the small group leaders in the room feel a little encouraged today. I mean, you think about that one person in your group. Like, why did I pick them? Jesus picked Judas, okay? Like, there's one crazy in every bunch. And if you don't know who that crazy is, it's probably you, all right? But, but he says, look, there's somebody that's going to betray me, and, and this is Judas. At the end of his life, Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, which under the Old Testament law was the same price that you would pay to bury a slave, and Judas did it because he was greedy. He loved money. We're going to talk about this later in uh, our study on John, but he was always dipping his hand into the disciples' money bag and, and taking what didn't belong to him. And so Jesus brought up Judas to let Peter know, you're not speaking for everybody. Like what you just said is true for 11 of y'all, but there's one of y'all it ain't true for. Uh, somebody in this group doesn't feel about me the way you feel about me, Peter. Somebody's going to betray me. And Judas, I would argue, is someone we need to learn from. Think about this. The masses turned back and Judas stayed. Thousands of guys are leaving, walking out on him, and Judas stayed. And he followed, but he never truly followed. And here's what Judas teaches us. Lean in. That you can look like a follower, act like a follower, talk like a follower, smell like a follower, and potentially still not be a follower of Jesus. And at some point, listen, at some point, you will be found out. There is a terrifying passage in Matthew 7. It's part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I think it might be the most terrifying passage in the entire Bible. Um, and he's talking about the day of judgment when we will all stand before him and give an account for the one life that he gave us. 
And he says, on that day, many will say to me, many, not just like a handful or a few, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty miracles in your name? And sadly, Jesus will look at the many and say, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Okay, here's the point. You can go through the motions and you can say the right things and you can do all the right things, but if you are not truly following Jesus, you will not fool Jesus. You might fool everybody else in this house. You might even fool yourself, but you will not fool him and one day you will stand before him and answer for why you were a devil. Listen, in light of all that, as we close, I wanna speak to a few groups of people and and I just really want everybody to lean in at this point, okay? It's about to get really personal and practical. So a few different groups of people. Number one, if you are someone with us today at one of our locations or even watching online that has turned back, come back. If you are someone who is with us that has turned back, come back, come back. Listen, it's not too late for you to come back to Jesus. And I just want to say, I believe it's why God brought you here today. Like, it's no coincidence that you showed up in one of the the rooms where we're gathered. It's no coincidence that you're watching online right now. No, God orchestrated this so that you would be here to hear this message because God is working to woo you back to himself because God wants you back. So come back. There's this amazing story in Luke 15 about a prodigal son who runs out on his dad. Comes his dad one day, he's like, I want my inheritance, which is something that a son only got when his dad died. And so he's basically saying, I wish you were dead. Just give me what belongs to me. And surprisingly, the dad agrees. Here's all your stuff. And, and the son runs off into this foreign nation, this foreign land, and, and he wastes everything that his dad had given him on wild living. Dude's partying, getting wasted, sleeping with prostitutes. And then one day it all runs out. A famine hits that land. Best he can do is get a job feeding pigs, which is not the kind of job you want if you're a good Jewish boy in that day, right? So one day he wakes up in the pig pen. He's like, man, what am I doing with my life? I had it so good back in my dad's house. And so he decides I'm just gonna pick myself up and I'm gonna go back home and beg my dad to let me be a slave. That's all I want. And so he starts the track back home and and as he's approaching the house one day, I imagine this father would just walk out to the edge of the driveway every day and just look and wonder, is today the day that my boy is finally gonna come back home? And this particular day, he looks up and he sees this kid off in the distance. He's lost weight, his face is scruffy, he's covered in pig slop, and he realizes as he's looking, it's my boy. And he doesn't start pointing fingers and he doesn't start condemning, but he does something that a Jewish man in that culture would have never done. He takes off running. And he embraces his son and he starts covering his face in kisses. And the boy's trying to get his apology out. Dad, I'm so sorry. Let me be a slave. And the dad's not even listening because he's yelling back to the servants. I want you to get a robe, put it on his back, get a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Go find the fattest cow you can find in the field and kill it. We're throwing a party tonight. My son has come back home. Look. If you've turned back, come back. That's the heart of the Father for you. And I know some of you are like, I don't know if I can, man. I've done too much. I've gone too. The grace of God covers all sin, even yours. 
And that is the Father's heart for you. He wants you back. And so come back. Second group of people I want to talk to are those of you who are thinking about turning back. You haven't turned back from Jesus just yet, but you're thinking about it. You're thinking about walking out on him because some of the teachings have gotten too hard. Life's got a little too hard. Church life has been a little bit hard. And can I just ask you the question, (laughs) where else are you gonna go? To whom else will you go? Who or what will do for you what Jesus Christ can do for you? The answer is nothing and no one. And I know things are hard and I know people at times make life hard, but don't let difficulty or crazy people keep you from the savior you need. If you are thinking about turning back, don't turn back, keep following Jesus. Number three, if you are someone who is with us who hasn't turned back, you just listen and you're like, that sermon's not for me, man, I'm good. No, I'm committed, I'm devoted, I am following. I'm like Peter, man, who else am I gonna go to? Come on, what are we talking about? Look at me, be grateful and be humble that you're following. And just remember today, he chose you. He chose you. And his spirit gave you life. The father drew you to his son and your flesh was no help at all. So don't you dare sit here today and pat yourself on the back because man, you're being so faithful. You give God glory for what he's done in your life. I would also say, don't you dare look down your nose at people who've turned back. Don't you be that prideful person who goes, can't believe they would do that. No, those people who've walked out on Jesus, here's what you do. You love them and you serve them and you pray that God would bring them back. And then finally, fourth uh, group, if you've never turned to Jesus in faith and given your life to him, I pray today would be that day for you that you'd finally release control of your life to Jesus, put your faith in him as Savior and Lord, and begin following him today. No one and nothing can do for you what Jesus Christ can do for you. So right now in this moment, if we can, let's just bow together. And if you are that person who would say, I gotta give my life to Jesus today, then right now in prayer and in faith, just tell him that. Tell him, Jesus, I need you. And I want my life to be yours. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I believe that you're the Savior I need. Tell him right now in this moment, I believe that what you did for me 2,000 years ago counts for me today, that you died for my sins so that I could be forgiven and loved by God. And then confess him as Lord. Just tell him, Jesus, you're Lord. Risen from the dead, on the throne of heaven, And only you can give me new and eternal life. So ask him for it. Jesus, would you give me life today? And I want you to be Lord over my life starting today. Look, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if if you're making that decision for the very first time right now at any of our locations, watching online, would you tell somebody what you did before you go today? If you're at one of our locations, it's really easy to do that. All you need to do is Walk to the front of the room when everybody else is leaving. We're gonna have our prayer team available at every location right in front of the stage. Just tell them I gave my life to Jesus and and we wanna celebrate with you. Uh, We have some resources that we wanna get in your hands today before you go just so you have some insight and, and knowledge on what to do next, where to go from here. So make sure that you tell somebody before you leave, all right? Here's what's about to happen and you just look up at me really quick, okay? The bands are gonna come out here in Cartersville, Roma, Daresville, and 
I've asked them to play a song today that I grew up singing. And if you grew up in church, you probably grew up singing this too. Um, it's called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And so we're going to go back and sing this old hymn together. And I pray that it would be the cry of our hearts. And here's just what I want to say. Some of you need to do business with God today. Some of you do. Some of you walked in, you've turned back, you need to come back. Some of you are thinking about it. You need to do business with God. And so I just want to invite you and give you permission, man. Get out of your seat. Come down here to the front of the room. I'm going to ask our prayer team at every location today to just walk through whoever comes down just to pray that God would give you whatever you need to come back or to stay faithful to Jesus. And so if you are someone who goes, that's me, I need that kind of prayer over my life, in a few moments when we stand to sing, I just want you to get out of your seat, come, kneel at the front of this room or at our other locations, those rooms, our prayer team's gonna come and just pray over you as we go, all right? So Father, would you come and work? Spirit of God, come move. This time is yours, have your way. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.